Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Wrapping up a series that we have been in, talking about our vision. We called it Until the Neighborhood Knows or Till the Neighborhood Knows because we want to keep moving in Jesus until the neighborhood, the entire world, knows Jesus is Lord as best as we can help it. We want to pour out everything we are, everything we have. But first, I got to tell you this uh, story I thought was pretty interesting. In 2013, uh, Marquise Baldwin was arrested on four counts of armed robbery. Six counts of aggravated assault. This, listen closely, this Pensacola man, anybody anybody know where I'm going with that? Florida, this Florida man, it it never fails. I I talked about a few weeks ago, if you haven't seen this trend, it's an amazing thing, been going on for a few years. Google your name and your birth, or excuse me, your birth date and Florida man and you will see some amazing stuff. That'll be your spirit animal, Florida man or woman, and it'll be really, really cool. But this Florida man from Pensacola held up three waffle houses and another business. But listen to this. It wasn't to, like, buy drugs. It wasn't to buy a really nice car. It wasn't, it wasn't even to pay the rent. It wasn't anything that maybe you would think a reason somebody might rob waffle houses. And why would you do that at waffle house? What's Waffle House ever done to us? I mean, we know we made some bad decisions there at 2 in the morning, but still, we know. Why would you do that at Waffle House? But here's why. He wanted to be able to pay off his girlfriend's probation fines. That is a Florida man story inside and out. Am I right? That, that is love. That is absolute. That is like a love story up there with like the princess bride, Romeo and Juliet. He had to pay off those probation fines. I was like, man, she must have been more of a gangster than he was. And so I just thought that was amazing. That's, that's crazy love. He'll go out and I don't know, you know, he goes out and risks his life. He goes out and does this thing. Now, he used a BB gun, so he wasn't really trying to hurt anybody. He was just trying to help her out. He goes out and he shows this crazy love. And I'll tell you, ladies, that's a keeper right there, right? If he will go and rob Waffle Houses, why you shake your head no, man. <laughs> if he will go and rob Waffle Houses, and they didn't say, can you imagine the business that doesn't get mentioned with Waffle House? <laughs> Woo, man, that's, that's down on the totem pole, right? If you don't even get mentioned when they mention Waffle House. But last week, we talked all about being filled up with the love of God for the purpose that we can go out and pour out the love of God. That's what we need to be about, being filled up continually with the love of God so that we can go out and pour out the love of God to people who need it. And the follow-up question to that that we sort of touched on last week was, who is our neighbor and how do we love them well? And that's what we're going to try to talk about today. Who's our neighbor and how do we love them well? In another gospel account, based uh, different than what we read in Matthew last time, there's a story that looks really similar to what Jesus answered when the Pharisee asked him the question about what the two greatest commandments were. This time, a guy comes and asks him, and then Jesus gets him to answer, and he gives an answer similar, uh, almost word for word, to what Jesus says later on. And it's pretty interesting. We're going to read in Luke chapter 10. You can follow along your Bible on your phone. We even have scripture up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers this guy. It says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Have you ever been there? In the place of this uh, young religious leader, you know, you see what God's word says. Maybe a, a Christian friend tells you, maybe your mom or your dad would have asked you, you know, you know, okay, I want you to go and I want you to behave yourself. And then automatically, you know, maybe you were, you know, 11, 12-year-old you, 13-year-old you, and you automatically go into lawyer mode. Does anybody remember doing that? Or if you've raised children, maybe you've had them do that for you. And they start pacing around the courtroom. Let the record show that you said. You know, and they try to catch you and paint you in a little box. And, you know, or you try to do that. And mom and dad, I'm going to just see how close I can get to the line without, you know, going over the line. Or more importantly, not getting caught. I mean, let's, let's be real about that. You know, what is, you know, what kind of movies can I go watch, mom? And one of the lessons I've learned nowadays is, you know, I grew up primarily in the 80s. I know that's old for some of you, young for others. But I grew up in the 80s, and we'll find this movie that we loved as kids, and we'll find it, and it's PG. But the ratings were different <laughs> back in the 80s. You'll pop that bad boy in, you know, and you'll be watching it, and PG, and it's like, whoa, hey, hey, kids. And your, your kids are like looking at you like this. Don't talk to me about being good and don't talking dirty and watching dirty stuff. You and your dirty movies, you know. They will call you on it. And, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. But we want to know where the line is. And so we ask the question, who is my neighbor? We can paraphrase it like this. What's the least I can do and still be good? That's really what the guy was asking. Who's my neighbor? What's the least amount I can do or who do I need to do it to or do it for and still be good, still be okay? He's saying, you tell me the people that I have to love and I'll go love them. Now, for those of us maybe who have been in church for a little bit, we'd look at the Pharisees and we'd say, oh, those are hypocrites, you know, and those people, they just, they're list keepers and rule keepers. But man, how many times do you and I do the same thing? We don't wear the little phylacteries on our head necessarily, and we don't make up the strict laws about I'm not going to walk more than seven-eighths of a mile. That's what they did, you know, to make sure they didn't work on the Sabbath. They went so too far to the extreme, they said, well, they determined what work was, and walking more than seven-eighths of a mile was work. You could walk six-eighths of a mile, and you're good. I mean, they just made up these arbitrary rules. But we do that kind of thing all the time. We ask these kind of questions. What can I do? What's the least amount I can do? Or who do I need to love? And I'll go do it. He asked that question. You know where that attitude comes from in you and me or maybe this young Pharisee? It comes from the forgetting that you need grace. This guy probably felt like he was as close to God as anybody. 
He knew all the answers. He had everything under control. And so he forgot just how much he needed grace. And you and I, if we are following Jesus long enough, we can get the same idea, we can get the same attitude of, I really don't need grace. Grace, God used that up on me, and now there's plenty more for all you hoodlums to go around. You know? I mean, that's the way it is. We look at people who might come into our church service and we think, oh, man, that guy or that girl, she really needs grace. They really need forgiveness. I'm thankful that I've used every, every bit that I need. I don't need any more, so here, use some of my extra. And, and some of y'all are getting where I'm going with this, and some of y'all are like, no, you're being silly, you know? But we have that heart and that attitude so many times. I don't necessarily need grace, or, or let's, let's define it a little bit better. All my big things that I really needed grace for, I've got under control. But I've got a few things that I do now, but they're not really the kind of sins that you need grace for. Did I poke a nerve? <laughs> I poked some on me. You know, that's why I love when you see, like, lists of sins in, in, the, in the Bible. You know, especially Paul likes to write lists. He was a Pharisee, and so he likes lists and all that sort of stuff. He would list off these really big bad sins, you know, rape and murder and then he'd throw in a gossip. And you're like, oh, I was with you, man. I was with you. I was like condemning those sinners. And then you're like, gossip, me, crap. <laughs> but, but we get like that. We, we classify and clarify our sins. Now, absolutely, different sins do have different consequences. I mean, you commit murder, there's a greater consequence than if you do tell a lie. But you know what? When it comes to your relationship with God, if you don't have Jesus, one sin is all it takes to separate you from God for all eternity. And so no matter how deep or dark or bad your sin or sins might be, one sin is enough. And the scripture says that if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of breaking them all. And so we have to understand we need grace and this attitude of how much do I have to do? What do I have to do? Show me who to love comes because we forget we need grace. And But we should be asking if we understand grace, who is next for me to go and love? Who's next? When we feel like we've loved one person well, we need to say, who's the next person? Or as we're loving one person well, because let's be real and honest, a lot of times it doesn't happen overnight, does it? Sometimes it takes years of loving on people for them to obey the gospel. Sometimes it takes decades even for people to obey the gospel. So we need to ask the question, who is next? Who can I go and love? That's what we need to be asking. Who else needs to hear the gospel you see, when you have that perspective, it comes from understanding that you need grace more every single day. There was a period in my life, a lot of it rotated around being in Bible college, preparing for ministry, and I started learning scripture really well, and I was just consuming scripture, and I really sort of became like the Pharisees, you know, like I know all the answers. I've got it all figured out. But then the more I started digging into scripture, yeah, I realized I needed grace more today than I did back then maybe even. When I first surrendered my life to Jesus and thankful, I'm so thankful that God's grace is so rich and so great and so big that it continues to pour over me. Because the problem is, is that once I sort of 
conquer, and I use that, that phrase lightly, it only happens through Jesus, we only are conquerors through him, but once I conquer a particular sin, one of the first things to pop up is what? Pride. And pride is a silent killer. It will kill other people because your pride will push people away and it will push them farther away from God, but it will slowly be killing you too. And there's so many other things that I can do once my pride gets in. I let my guard down and I can fall to sins that I never thought I'd be tempted by. And this goes for all of us. So we have to understand we need the grace of God more every day. But in case you want to answer, like that guy's question, who do you need to love? Here's what Jesus says to the young lawyer. Look at verse 30 in Luke chapter 10. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Okay, You've probably heard this story many times. It's, it's often used in popular culture, and I guarantee you some of the people that use it don't even understand they're, they're quoting and referencing Bible. But we hear all the time, the good Samaritan, and this is where this story is going. I'm sorry if I spoiled it for you, if you didn't know where the end of it's going. The Samaritan is a good guy. He's a hero. We'll talk about that in a second. But this guy is beaten on the road from between Jerusalem and Jericho, and all of a sudden as he's lying there, half dead, that's always been a funny term to me. Half dead. You know, it's like, if how much more beating do you have to get to be whole dead? The same amount, again. But anyway, I, that's a fine line. I know, my brain's in a weird place today. Y'all forgive me. I would say I'm not like this all the time, but that would probably be lying. But this guy is going along, and did you catch who it was, what type of person it was that's walking along and sees this guy? In the, a priest. This is a person who's supposed to be a mediator between God and people, the guy who has all the answers, so to speak, the one who goes and prepares the sacrifices, and, you know, the high priest was one of these guys, and he would go into the presence of God one time a year. This was a guy who's supposed to be doing the life of faith right. And he's walking along the road, and what does he do? Moves over to the other side and keeps what? Right on going. I will say something. Got a little bit of a buzz there. I don't know. We, I will say this. I'm just as guilty, and I think this is something we all can be equally guilty at. How many times have you been pulling up to the end of an intersection or an off-ramp and you look, and there's somebody standing there, and what do you do? You look away. How many times, if you are like me and you're strategic, you see them, and so you get in the farthest lane away so you don't have to have them knock on your window? I, I'm not getting into the fact that there are many people that make a living on that, and they don't really, they're not really in need. I'm not getting into that. But we know the feeling, right? 
we know the feeling of seeing somebody who may or may not be in need and we will move to the other side. And so I say that because I want you to remind that these people, are they're characters in a story that Jesus is telling. He's trying to prove a point. But we make the same rationalizations. We make the same justifications so many times because just like what you did, you might pull up to that intersection. There's somebody asking for money. They look the part. They look ragged. They look like it, but you're like, I don't know. Fool me once, you know. You know the whole thing? That guy probably saw that guy beaten on the road, and he's like, this is a rough road. That might just be a trap, and they're just waiting to jump me. That guy might be the guy who's actually going to rob me, and it just looks like he's hurt. You see, we justify all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't get involved, why we shouldn't help. But regardless, Jesus makes the point that a priest passes right on by. He keeps going and doesn't help this guy. And like we talked about last week, our relationship with God, if it's suffering, our relationships with other people will too. So no doubt, no matter what that person's intentions might be, or no matter how much they might need it or deserve it or not deserve it, if we are not focused on building our relationship with God, then we will treat other people poorly. It's been said many times before, religion without relationship leaves us empty. Religion without relationship leaves us empty. If you only know the rules, but you don't have the heart behind it, and you're not loving God, and we talked about that last week. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that online and see what we're talking about. But really falling in love with God on all these different levels like we talked about. If you're missing that part, you'll always be frustrated. Because every time somebody's in need, it will be another eye roll. If somebody needs your uh, shoulder for, you, for them to lean on, it will be another, oh my gosh, I just don't have time. I've got stuff going on myself, just like this priest may have reasoned. In verse 32, it says, So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you've got another religious guy, a guy who worked in the temple and performed all sorts of different things that the priest really might have not have done. He's a worker for the kingdom of Israel. He served there in the temple, and what does he do? Same thing. He avoided the situation. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to say this. I believe it's a good application. Simply attending church activities doesn't make you faithful. I know that's probably bad for me to say. No, it's not. It's not. We need to hear that. I need to hear that. Because I could get caught up in that too. Simply attending church activities make, doesn't make you faithful. I, I've seen many times in my life, you know, or I've, I've heard other people say, well, my church does this, but I want to ask the question sincerely and honestly, do you do that? Because your church is not just an organization. It is a body of believers, and you shouldn't say, my church does this act of service or my church does this act of generosity if you're not participating in it. And man, I know that's harsh and that doesn't fit with what we're told that we need, that we need to do. We just need, oh, just accept everybody on what they're doing. We are called to surrender and die to Jesus. And so we go on in verse 33. It says, but... A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
Now, we talked about this last week, and I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. When he's telling this story, you know, I guarantee you everybody that's listening is like, oh, yeah, the priest? Wow, that's, that's shameful. And, and they love stories. We love stories, too, but they love stories back then. He said, oh, the priest, that's shameful. Oh, the Levite. Oh, yeah. If that was me, I'd have been, I'd have been helping. And then he gets, and there's a but here in the English, but a Samaritan. And I guarantee you all the oxygen was sucked out of the area when Jesus said that. When he said, when he said a Samaritan, they were like, <gasps> gasp, <gasps> clutch pearls. You know, I mean, that's what they did. I cannot believe. I mean, automatically people's minds were going in tangents and they're like, I can't believe Jesus would make a Samaritan the good guy. He'd make him the hero. How would you even consider the idea that a Samaritan, a dog, a spit, when I think about Samaritans, why would we ever consider that a Samaritan would be the hero? Jesus does this kind of thing so many times. When he's got a big crowd around him, he'll say things that are controversial because he only wants people who are seeking him with their full entire heart. After he had fed the 5,000, and everybody's looking for a meal, and everybody's all excited, and they think, man, this is pretty amazing. We just follow him around. We'll never have to go shopping again. I can relate. I hate going shopping the two times that I have to do it. You know, I hate it. I go on little errands. But he turns and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have a part of me. You know, Jesus is always wanting to see who's real for him, who's here for him, and who's just here for the show. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Je Jesus chose the less than human one to be the hero, the one they considered not even human. And there's one quick point I want, I want you to understand and, and sort of store away. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your past. It's not even about your present that you're living in right now. It's the presence of God that makes you worthy. It's not about what you've done. It's not about where you've come from. It's not about all the mistakes you've made and the sins that you've committed that if Pete, the person sitting beside you knew they would slide over a seat. It's not about any of that. It's about the presence of God inside a believer that makes all the difference that heals from the inside out and then spills out and pours out in other people. And so the person who's less than human, so to speak, can always be the hero in God's story if we surrender our lives to him. But it's more than the who, it's the how of how this guy helped. Look at verse 34 and 35. It says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that is two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This guy gives, gives and gives and gives and gives. And so it's not just our presence alone, it's not just our presence alone, it's not simply being nice, it's not only doing no harm, there are many people that do those things well, but they utterly reject Jesus and his gospel. And I say that to say this, there's an old saying, and I, I forgive me, I just blanked on who it was to attribute it to, but you've heard it many times before. 
But it says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And in theory, that's a really good statement. That's a good practice, a good principle to live by. But absolutely, for people to become to salvation, you know what they have to hear? The gospel. They've got to hear the words. And so let's use that statement and let's live by it. Let's live the right kind of life, but let's not make any mistake that just my silent presence around people being kind and good will lead people to heaven. We cannot be let off the hook in that way. That is a fallacy. It is false. We have to share the truth in love with people so they can know who Jesus is. Because you know what? You know, we talked about last week about how much time you spend time on screens. And it's funny, um, Casey's daughter, Casey's back in the back working right now, her her daughter Niza, she didn't know if she was paying attention, but she had a little notepad and she was writing. And when I said something about there's been times, you know, on average uh, my phone is on like six hours a day, every now and then it's been eight hours a day, and she she wrote down, she's like, hmm, six hours, I don't even use my phone that much and I'm nine. And I'm like, you want to fight? <laughs> I was like, I've got a son that uses my phone. Thank you. I use GPS. You know, <laughs> I'm justifying myself, you know. But the thing is, is that when on things like Instagram, this is where I'm going with this. Believe it or not, I have a purpose. On Instagram, you can see all these things. There's a, a particular page that I follow. Or, uh, that sounds very old. Sorry. An account that I follow that says uh, it's called Good News. And it's just sharing good news that people do, kind and loving things that people do. The world, believe it or not, as bad as it may seem, as bad as the media may want you to believe it is, as bad as it may feel it sometimes, the world is full of good people who are doing good things and kind things. But the truth is, is that hell itself will be full of good people. And the only thing that takes a good person and makes them holy and righteous and saved is Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that covers our sin. And so we cannot believe the lie that just being good and being in the presence of people is enough. We need to do that, but we need to share the truth of the gospel in love. So let's look at how the Samaritan loved and learn how to love well in that. How do you love your neighbor audaciously. That's a big word. It's a word we don't use very much, but I I use that because we sang a song right before I came up called Reckless Love. Some people like that song. Some people don't. Some people say, oh, God would never be reckless, and I, I tend to view it this way. I believe when you compare the love of God to the love that we humans show, I believe it looks reckless. It looks crazy. It was thought out. It was the plan that God had. He knew that he would send Jesus. It was not an accident. It was not a mistake. It was not bouncing back from a a knockdown. It was the plan, but it looks so reckless, and I believe that's what God wants us to love like. He wants us to love with reckless abandon. He wants us to love audaciously in ways that show people and shake people up. And I believe the first way we see in this story that Jesus told is you practice compassion practice I, you know I'm a big basketball fan and I still remember to this day Allen Iverson being interviewed and they were talking about him you know missing practice and goofing off of practice and he's like practice you're talking about practice not a game practice and he just goes on and on but we are called to practice because not everybody has Allen Iverson skills when it comes to loving people in Jesus name we need to practice with everything that we have compassion and showing it to people Because here's what we do. A lot of times we say, I feel compassion. But we have to show compassion. 
It's not enough to just feel compassion. We have to show compassion and live it out. Just like faith. Faith is always proven and exercised by actions in Scripture. You really don't see instances where people say, oh, I just simply believe. You saw it played out in the way they live their lives. So the living of your faith is like living compassion out. We're told to practice compassion. As we said last week, I don't have my phone. (laughs) But as we said last week, sometimes we just got to put our phones down. And look around, because you, you may say, when you see somebody do something really cool and amazing and inspiring for someone, you're like, man, I just wish I had opportunities. You do. I do. There are people around us every day who are in need in small and big ways, and we just need to lift our eyes up. Look, the, the fields are white unto harvest. They're ripe. They're ready, it says, is what Jesus said. They are ready. The, the crop is there. It just needs to be picked. We just need workers to go out into the harvest field. So look around and do something for me. Start praying. You can pray with your eyes open if you feel weird about bowing your head quietly in public. You're afraid somebody's going to do something to you. I don't know. Pray and ask God, help me see who, help me know what, and help me know how I need to go about meeting these needs around me. And say, God, help me to see these things and help me to see these people. It does not happen by accident. We do not become people who have radical, audacious, reckless love and compassion by accident. It will not just drop on your head out of the sky. Every now and then it will, but normally it will not. If you're not looking, you won't see. We've got to practice compassion. The second thing is this. Let it cost you. Let it cost you. It's okay for things to not really stretch you, but if that's the way you live your life, you become really tight. (laughs) You know, if you're not using that muscle, it will get really tight on you really quick. I have learned one thing. I think I've always sort of had tight hamstrings, but like touching my toes, it's like, man, I must have grown. I can't reach my toes very well. You know, I, I mean, I've tried to slim down a little bit so it's not the whole belly thing necessarily. But, man, it's just like I, I'm t- because I haven't used my hamstrings as much as I should. And the older you get, the more you have to stretch, the more you have to stay flexible. And that muscle on loving and giving has to be used continually or it will tighten up. And your generosity and your compassion will tighten up. It has to cost you time, money. It has to cost you one of our most precious commodities. And I already said money. Comfort. It has to get you out of your comfort zone or it will not be powerful and effective to point people to Jesus. It's been said many times before, if it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. If your sacrifice doesn't cost you something, it really doesn't count because you can't be sacrificing and not give up something. It has to be a stretch the idea of a, a token sacrifice doesn't really grow you. You're not going to get stronger. You're not going to get better at living your life for Jesus. It doesn't stand out. And before anybody goes off on a tangent and starts thinking, oh, he's talking about you've got to do better, be better, so God will love you more. We're saved by God's grace. But if we want people to see Jesus and come to know him like we do, then we've got to do these kind of things. We've got to love better and live better and surrender every moment, every thought to Jesus. Satan wants people to believe 
that being good is good enough to save you. Like we said earlier, the hell is going to be full of people who are good and kind, maybe better than a lot of us. But if they don't know Jesus, we're told that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we only come to the Father through him. And so we need Jesus. And so God calls for audacious, costly love, outrageous love like Jesus on the cross. If you ever want to see what your goal of love and sacrifice looks like, look to the cross. Look to what Jesus did for you. He did not have to. We did not deserve it. And so those, op- those options go right out the window because many times we see somebody and we're like, well, I'd like to help them out, but I don't think they deserve it. You didn't deserve it either. I don't deserve it either. We didn't deserve Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection for us to be saved, but they don't deserve it either. But guess what? We need to love them well and audaciously and recklessly like God loves us through Jesus, his son. I want to ask you this. What if Jesus sacrificed for you the way that you sacrifice for others? Like, what if something just flipped and everything changed and the way that you were saved was determined on how much you had loved other people well? It's getting hot in here. (laughs) Y'all feel it? I mean, I'd be in hell. I would be in hell. And y'all be my backup choir. Y'all be right there. Because most of us struggle with loving people well, recklessly, audaciously, big acts of love because we want to love and we want to be loved, but we don't want to have to go out of our way. And here's what the next thing we learn from this, this Good Samaritan is go the extra mile. Verse 35, I'll read it for you one more time. It says, the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He gave him extra money. He'd already used his oil and wine for medicine. He'd already put him on his own donkey. He had walked. He stayed an extra night. Don't know if he had intended on doing that. And then he gives two days wages. You do the math on what you make in two days. That's a lot of money to just hand away to somebody you don't know. You could have said, all right, I'll leave him here. He's your problem now. But no, and then he says, I'll come back and I'll do more. Anything you spend, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to pay back what you need. I'm going to meet your needs as well. Just like grace, love looks crazy. Grace looks crazy if you really think about it. We don't deserve it, but we are given it freely. And love is the same way. And when you think that you've gone far enough, you know what God's calling us to do? Go farther in loving. Go farther in loving people because we are called to love like Jesus loves us. And love, as we say many times, love is not, a, is not a feeling. It's a decision to think and do the best for other people. If you wait for the emotion, you're going to be waiting until Jesus comes back and then it's going to be disappointing. We need to make the decision to love people even when they don't deserve it because as we said, nobody deserves it. And I think sometimes, I wonder why we don't see mass revival, people coming to Jesus. And I believe it's simply because we don't see mass repentance. People don't see the church repenting and coming back to what God has called us to be and who God has called us to be. And so therefore, as we talked about last week a little bit, they don't want any part of it because it's not enticing. It doesn't change your life. Why would I want to get up on Sunday if it doesn't change your life? 
if you go through the same things over and over again and nothing ever changes, why would I want to do that? That's the, the definition of, of, you know, being an idiot, being insane. We don't want to do the same things and expect different results. Why would I do that? And so we're called to live lives of reckless love and outrageous, audacious grace. You may be familiar with a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey. He does a lot of uh, financial stuff. He has this thing called Financial Peace University. We've done that here, led some classes here at Movement. We'll probably do one again uh, probably at the first of next year. And it's a really cool thing. And whether you like him or not, he's got some really good principles. Some of them you can disagree with, and that's fine. But one of the stories and challenges that Dave Ramsey lays out a lot is this. He talks about when he was raising his kids and they were starting to get their hands wrapped around their financial future better and trusting God and giving to God first and all these principles that he teaches. When they got to the point where they could really be generous in giving, they had already started giving to God, they had gotten everything and they paid off their debts, they did all those things, and then they really just got money to just give and do crazy things with in the name and the glory of God. He said, take them to Waffle House. I'm going to kind of tell this both ways because he tells it as a story, but he says, you go and wait for those days you can do this. He says, take them to Waffle House because they got robbed three times. Y'all know that. See, he was paying attention. But anyway, take them to Waffle House, you order water, maybe a piece of toast or something like that, you sit your family down, and then while the waitress is away, he said, you leave $1,000 on the table, and you walk out. And he said, for the sake of your kids, not to get a little buzz just for yourself, but for the sake of your kids, you sit there in the parking lot looking through the windshield, and you watch as the waitress who maybe she's wondering if she's going to be able to pay her bills and keep her lights on this week, comes back to the table and was probably angry because these tightwads are only ordering water at Waffle House, and so I know my tip's going to be horrible. She comes back to the table, and you see her burst into tears. And he said, nine times out of ten, whether they believe in God or not, you see them look up and say, thank you. Because they know that only something like that can come from God. A $1,000 tip for water and toast. And I'm telling you, that inspires me. My family and I, we try to be generous. You know, we, we, we try to be frugal in the way we live. We try to be generous. But that's the kind of generosity I want to be able to experience. Not simply so that I can feel better, but so that more people can see the glory and the goodness of God. And if that means that I need to get a better handle on my finances and trusting God with my money, then so be it. And so I'm trying, and we're trying to do that as a family every single day. But I don't know about y'all, but I want to be that kind of generous to people. And I don't want it to be a one-off. I want to be able to do that anytime that I see the need. I, I want to be able to just pour out the funds that God has given me, not because I'm, I'm worried about making my car payment or, or worried about this, but I can give generously because people have given to me and God has blessed me. And we want to do these kind of radical, audacious, reckless acts of love and generosity. And I'd love to get to the point where it's not even an act of faith. It's like, hey, I know God's got me. And then I'm going to have to grow and stretch myself a little bit farther because we're always called to live by faith. And that's why we as a, as a church, as our entire church family, talk about our need to be self-supporting. We're, we're about three and a half, almost four years old, and it's our goal to be totally self-supporting. That means from our own local offerings, not from outside support at all. 
We want to be totally self-supporting, not just so we can say, okay, we've got the bills paid, but so that we as a church family can do amazing, audacious, radical acts of love and generosity. Do you know that we've already been doing those things? But there's no limit to what God will put in our lap. If we are responsible with little, he'll give us and let us be responsible with much. And we can trust and know that he is good. We just heard about a few weeks ago, our missionaries uh, in Ireland want to be able to purchase a building where they can really have space to grow and reach more people. And man, I would love it. I would love if our church was just like, okay, we can write a $10,000 check to just go ahead and put you on your way on that. And it's already, you know, nothing's going to miss out. You know, we don't have to not buy the kids goldfish in the back, (laughs) you know. We don't have to say, uh, we'll just leave lights off today completely, (laughs) you know, and have church. We don't want to do any of that, but we can just give because we've been giving faithfully and continually so that when the need pops up, a great, huge need, not just the small ones, not just the ones with, okay, maybe we'll need to take up an extra offering. We will already have it because we've trusted God. We could do outrageous, audacious, big acts of faith and love and generosity. This church, we've already helped people adopt children. We've planted churches. We've supported children in Mexico. We've fed people. We've housed people who didn't have anywhere to sleep. And sometimes those funds have been given already, and sometimes they had to have a special offering. But we want to be able to just radically blow people's minds with the generosity of God. That's not just talk. That's what we need to do, and that's what we're called to do. We want to be a people... And a church family that loves recklessly, loves audaciously, and powerfully to change the world. Why? Because we keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus. And if we are going to be the light on the hill, then we need to be the brightest light we can be. Because we want people to know Jesus. Jesus made sure that we didn't miss the point. To answer the question clearly... Our neighbor is anybody we see. Remember the question, who's my neighbor? Our neighbor is anybody that we see. Look at verse 36 and 37. It says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus is baiting this guy. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Be like that Samaritan. Love radically. Love in an audacious, crazy way. And so to sort of wrap this thing up and bring it down to an end, there's the idea that I want you to wrap your mind around. Remember that you can't love God and not love your neighbor. 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Do you think he's trying to make a point? (laughs) Hello? If you claim to love God, you've got to love people. And I would dare say that it has to be reckless and audacious and sacrificial. And sometimes to the point it hurts. And sometimes you wonder, is there going to be enough in the bank? 
If you want to follow in faith, you have to get up and move in faith. You have to follow where he leads. You have to step out of the boat onto the water, even if you can't see any stumps. You have to follow and trust knowing that he will provide the way every single time. If you think about the context of this question, and then the parable that Jesus tells to answer this question, the expert in the law, he knew all the things to do, right? He gave the answer. Jesus turned it back on him, and he gave the right answer. And Jesus says, man, you've you got it together. You understand things. He believed the right things, but guess what? Evidently, it didn't show up in his life. It didn't show up in life change. And so I want to say this as we sort of wrap up this morning. Make sure, like we talked about last week, that it's not just a mental exercise for you, that your faith is not just a mental exercise for you, that you're not just preparing for a test, a written exam at the end of life. It's not simply about only knowing the Scripture, it's about living the Scripture. It's not simply about understanding and having faith, it's about living and walking in faith. It's about laying everything down on the line so that more people can see Jesus through you and in you and that you get to spend eternity in heaven with God Almighty in a perfect place where there's no more pain, no more heartache, no more death, no more sorrow, no more COVID, no more cancer, none of it. And we want people to be there with us. You can't only love God with your mind alone. You have to love him with your heart and your soul as well. We're called to love recklessly and audaciously like God loves us. We can talk and believe and think about love all we want, but when it comes down to it, if it doesn't come out in our actions in a radical and a reckless and audacious way, it's often powerless. So the question I want you to sort of answer finally today is this. It's actually a couple of questions. Who do you need to love recklessly? And the question is, are you understanding and experiencing the reckless love of God yourself? Is your relationship with him, are you just trying to be a good person and hoping your proximity to the church is going to get you in? If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are not covered by the blood of Jesus. And we want you to know that today you can be free. You can be whole. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you did right before you walked in the building. It doesn't matter the internet sites that you looked at. It doesn't matter where you were last week, who you were with. It doesn't matter any of that. You can be free and other people that you know and love and care about can experience the same grace and joy in life as well. So when we love recklessly like God has loved us, we need to go out, we need to pray, God, open my eyes. Who needs to hear this message of love and life and truth? Help me see, help me trust you enough to follow you even when it hurts, to give even when it hurts, to love audaciously. Give me the faith to keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus. Jesus died for you. Some of you, you accept that and it doesn't do anything right here. You need to wake up. Wake up, or sleep or rise from the dead. Paul wrote that to the church. Some of us hear that and we're like, eh, it doesn't work for me. It's probably for these other people. These people are good people, but nobody in here is good. Only God is good. 
And so he died for you and loves you. And so that message is for you. And some of you are saying, well, there's people I know that they don't deserve it. But remind yourself that none of us deserve it, but God gives it to us freely. And so you need to know Jesus is Lord, and so do they. And so it's up to us to go and live and love audaciously and recklessly so that people can know that Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and burst out of that tomb on the third day and lives to this day and gives you and I eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is the Lord of all and you're willing to turn away from your life of sin, confess him as Lord, you can meet him in the watery grave of baptism. He'll bury you and he'll raise you up to walk in a new life. He'll give you forgiveness of sin and he'll give you the Holy Spirit and you can be new and clean and alive and free. And then you can spend the rest of your life pulling as many people as possible to that same point saying, here's Jesus. Follow him too. If you've got something on your heart, I'll be right over to the side, be willing to pray with you. Help make this decision for not just you, but for other people who need to hear it too. Let's stay and listen. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.